Welcome back to GLF Live, the official podcast of the Global Landscapes Forum. Did you know that the world is losing about 10 million hectares of forest each year? That's an area around the same size as South Korea. And that deforestation is threatening many of the world species, not to mention releasing huge amounts of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere and increasing the risk of another pandemic. So in today's episode, which was originally aired in March 2021, we're speaking with three of the world's leading forestry experts to discuss where we stand today with the world's forests and what we can do to protect them moving forward. Hi everyone, and welcome to GLF Live. I'm Gabrielle Lipton, the editor of Landscape News for the Global Landscapes Forum, and thank you so much for joining us for this GLF Live today. I apologize for the delays in our start time. We had some technical difficulties, uh, but we're resolving them now, and hopefully our third speaker, Wanjira Mathai, will be able to join us very shortly. But in the meantime, we'll get started with our two speakers here. And today we are talking about the state of the world's forests. And this comes a day after the International Day of Forests, which was celebrated yesterday, a UN holiday bringing global attention to these ecosystems, and this year focusing on forest restoration in particular. According to a UN report released last year, we have just over 4 billion hectares of forest left, which provide us with food, clean water, as a threat for forests later in this conversation. Uh, so thank you for raising that now. But Meta, I'd like to go to you. The Global Forest Resources Assessment was published last year by FAO, and it found that the rate of forest loss has declined substantially in the past five years, which is great. Um, but could you put this decline into context for us? Uh, is the rate of decline progressing quickly enough and in the areas where it needs to most? Thanks, Gabrielle, and thanks for inviting me here today to celebrate this National Day of Forests. It's a fantastic uh, opportunity to talk about forests and how they're doing. If we look at it at the global level, as you say, deforestation rates have gone down. In the 1990s, we were losing about 16 million hectares of forest every year. And in the last five years, that's down to 10 million hectares per year. Those numbers may not tell people much. So if we look at the size, 10 million hectares, it's the same as the size of a country such as Iceland or South Korea, or twice the size of Costa Rica, just to mention three countries where the forest area is actually increasing. So we are losing large amount of forest every year, and it's primarily, of course, in the tropics, as Robert was saying. So progress has been made, but it's not fast enough. And we've also seen a shift, whereas in the 90s and in 2000, 2010, the major area, or the area which the biggest deforestation rate was South America. That has now changed. South America has reduced the annual rate of deforestation when you look at a 10-year period, quite dramatically from the 1990s to the period from 2010 to 2020. But Africa is now the region with the largest rate of forest loss, and it's increasing. So we really need to have a closer look at, at Africa, and I'm really pleased that we have Andrea here with us today as well, because that is the reg region now that's the frontier of deforestation. The main driver there is still primarily small-scale subsistence agriculture. But commercial agriculture, mining, infrastructure development all play a significant role. 
And we shouldn't forget that more than 90% of all the wood cut in Africa is used as firewood and charcoal, primarily for cooking the daily meals. So we need to address the issues, the underlying issues of deforestation, which are poverty and in food insecurity in some of these regions. In addition to addressing unsustainable consumption and production globally. Thank you. I think getting to those root causes is crucial. And one that you mentioned is food production. Um, so I'd like to go to agriculture now. And Robert, the clearing of forests for agriculture is the leading driver of deforestation. Um, but it doesn't necessarily have to be the case as trees on farms or outside of forests can play a crucial role in sustainable food production. And this can come through plantation forests or agroforestry or other mixed land uses. So how should we be broaden, broadening our view of forests to be more um, holistically inclusive of landscapes so that trees and forests can more sustainably uh, support food systems? Uh, th th thank you, Aina, sort of. Uh, I think more than broadening the, 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 the scope of what we in forest, we, we need to change a little bit or, or quite a lot um, how agriculture proceeds, I mean, that sort of. So we, we, we need to, to certainly, in, in, in many cases, we need to put back a tree in the landscape where, where they have been removed and, and, and to recreate the, the ecosystem services, the, the diversity that the tree are creating. We need to, uh, to also uh, stop uh, agricultural practice or like in marginal lands uh, and it, that are much better probably covered by, by trees, be it forest or, or woodlands, and then done by agriculture that is hardly producing. And, 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 and in a sense, we, we really need to, to look at the, the, the whole uh, uh, landscape uh, issue and uh, looking at uh, conserving the, the primary or untouched forest that are left. I mean, uh, sort of managing the, the part of forest that is currently uh, more or less well managed for, for producing the goods we need. We, we need wood, we need fiber. And if we want to move into the bio-based economy, we will need more wood and more, more fiber. So we need to come from somewhere. And then we need, of course, to, to restore and, and, and a, a great deal of the land that has been degraded, is land that has been degraded because of improper agricultural practice, uh, extensive cattle farming, uh, uh, too many uh, goats uh, grazing or, 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 or monoculture and, uh, and, and deforestation in, in the Cerrado for, for soybeans. So I think we need to change. Uh, the way we look at forests, and then we need to change all the practices that are outside of the forestry sector that impact the forest. Mm -hmm. And uh, the narrative around forests has long been focused on forests as carbon sinks as well. And everything that you're saying is uh, broadening this narrative around forests, especially as the truth of forests as carbon sinks is coming into question. There is recently a report that found that some parts of the Amazon are now emitting more greenhouse gases than uh, they store. So how do you see the narrative of forest broadening and um, especially in terms of them as carbon sinks? Well, let's be clear in a sort of intact forests are still carbon sink. They have not reached the tipping point where they change. What is happening now in the Amazon, if you read the report, is that yes, the, the part that have been deforested or degraded or burned are becoming carbon source. 
and so the, if you increase this area, then of course, I mean, sort of, you increase the, the chance or the likelihood that the overall Amazon basin becomes a, a carbon source rather than, than being a carbon sink. And this is something that, that is at risk, as Mete said, with you continue increasing deforestation in the Congo Basin, we will see the same phenomenon. Uh, in Southeast Asia, I mean, a sort of the area of forest that are, that are uh, like a mangrove or, or, or peat also, they are large, large, large carbon sink until someone disturbs it and then they start to emit large amount of greenhouse gases, be it uh, CO2, but also methane, methane. And, and so they, be, they become ca carbon source. So the problem is not with the forest, the problem is with us. Uh, and so we need to stop degrading and, and deforesting and, and start uh, reforestation and rehabilitation. Absolutely. And uh, Meta, you mentioned Africa before um, as one of the places where forest loss is uh, it's a huge issue right now. Uh, but it also has some major restoration efforts happening, such as the Great Green Wall and the Green Belt Movement. So how are you seeing this dichotomy of deforestation, but also forest restoration playing out on the African continent? Right. Uh, let's just have a look at where we're losing forests and where we're gaining them. And there's sort of different types. And we just look at Africa per se. We're losing them primarily in the sub-Saharan Africa, clearly, where most of the forests are primarily in East Africa and Southern Africa for now. Not so much in the Congo Basin yet, simply because the population pressure is lower. Where we are seeing an increase in forest area is where people really have seen a need to plant trees and to restore the productivity of the areas that they have, where they are combating desertification. So that's in the Sahel and the Green Belt, the Great Green Wall, uh, initiative, for example, in Africa that wants to, to restore 100 million hectares of land. And that is possible. And we have seen that's happening both uh, individually by small farmers in uh, Niger, in other countries that they have identified that there is a need to manage the soil better. And one of the ways of doing that is to restoring that productivity of the soil by planting trees and crops at the same time so that you also have fodder for livestock and that you have some crops that can give you income while you're doing this. So there's a huge interest in trying to see how we can expand what has been happening in that area to other areas of Africa as well, where we're seeing a combination of restoration, of agroforestry, of small woodlots to help with the wood that's needed for, for firewood and charcoal for cooking. So it's, it's interesting to see that dynamic, but you also see it elsewhere where you have deforestation for a period. The farmers are then growing their crops, perhaps in some cases together with trees. Then when most of the nutrients have been leached out of the soil, they would let it grow back into trees for a number of years and then come back. So that's the shifting cultivation that we have seen. And that's still happening in many places of Africa. The problem has been that the fallow period has become shorter. So the forests don't regenerate nearly as much. But we don't have a really good picture of those dynamics between deforestation, planting of crops and some trees, and then natural regeneration of forest again. So that's where we need to have a, a better look at what's happening uh, to see where some of these activities are still sustainable and where we need to come in and see what are the other 
livelihoods that we can help with to uh, help with the poverty, help with the food insecurity in ways that are sustainable that include trees and forest and, and farms all in one mosaic landscape, if you will. And would you say that this dynamic and the mosaic landscapes that are um, slowly taking more hold in Africa are applicable to other regions of the world as well? Well, when we see a sort of the pattern of deforestation in Latin America, it's primarily been large scale commercial agriculture. In Africa, up till now, it's mainly been this small scale subsistence agriculture, but we see more of the commercial agriculture coming in. In Asia, it's been totally mixed. You see both small scale and large scale, but you also see a lot from urban expansion, for example, in, in Asia. But you also see restoration efforts taking place. I mean, China has done massive efforts of reforestation and rehabilitation of trees in areas to help with combating desertification, helping with sand and dust storms. They have been planting more than 4 million hectares a year for more than a decade. So you see efforts around the world, and that's what we really want to, to promote. That's why it's so important this year that we're starting this UN decade on ecosystem restoration, that we look at helping countries, where can they restore, how should they restore, and, and it's more, it's not just about planting trees, obviously. It's looking at having those combination of the economic, social, environmental benefits of trees in the broader landscape. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I'd like to go back to one of the major drivers of deforestation that you mentioned before, which are wildfires, and they're threatening so many of the world's most precious forests in tropical and Arctic ecosystems. So how do we balance restoration efforts with such a major and often uncontrollable threat, such as the, uh, the growing wildfires happening each season? Uh, maybe, Robert, you'd like to comment on this. Yeah, I mean, so to, you have uh, audiences to realize that fire is not a bad thing per se. I mean, of course, if you are, if your house is in the path of the fire, it's, it's not a good thing, but uh, several ecosystems are adapted to fire and they regenerate after a fire and so so. <clears throat> the, the problem that we seem to have more and more now is that ecosystems that are not adapted to fire, like uh, a tropical rainforest or peatland or are burning on, on a somewhat regular basis or, or like the, the, the taiga and, 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 and as a result, uh, these ecosystems are, are not adapted for the fire and instead of regenerating, they are getting either totally destroyed or degraded and weakened and then after the fire, you have an infestation of insects and then there is a lot of die back and then there is another fire and ultimately you end up with something that is not anymore a forest and, and then uh, you have a problem. And, and just think about the sort of one, 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 in, one increase in, in one degree Celsius, uh, increase supposing about 10 times the, the number of uh, lightning strike in an area. So the, the people that are uh, not trying to mitigate and fight climate change, on top of that, they are arsonists. Because, in fact, they increase the, the, the incidence of fire. So the, what we need to do for fire, and, and it's mainly about prevention. So prevention is better than better to prevent the fire than, than to call the firefighter when, when the fire started. And, and that's really something that, that 
national government and, and the international agenda should, should really focus on how do we stop the fire starting more than how do we uh, put off the fire when it has started. Uh, it looks like Wanjia has been able to join us again. Uh, would you like to give us a bit of an explainer of how you see the balance of restoration and degradation happening in Africa, your landscape right now, and how that's um, how that's playing out in your in your region? Well, the, the certainly, I'm sure um, Meta and Robert have have covered the important points, and and certainly the the, the urgency of restoration. I think we. Uh, see degradation happening at um, alarming rates and certainly knowing just how important um, restoration is to the cushioning of communities and to the resilience that communities have enjoyed for so many years is to also understand how important it is as almost a quick win because it is something that we could do, something that we could mobilize a lot of people to do and especially because we have such a young population. And so restoration is an opportunity that Africa can really take advantage of. It is affecting just about every sector of life, agriculture, food security as we know it, water security, and a lot of urban water issues or urban issues around resilience are a function of the degradation of our landscapes. And so the urgency very clear and the opportunity, I think, quite important given where we are at the moment. So I wanted to piggyback off of that for where we are at this moment, which is in a pandemic, which has brought a lot of attention actually to deforestation and how it can lead to things like zoonoses and spillover. Uh, Wanjira, would you like to comment on how this has played into uh, forest management and governance in Africa and perhaps elsewhere as well? Well, I think definitely, I mean, thanks, Gabriel. The, the, the pandemic has just underscored how important it is. I almost can't believe that Johan Rockstrom almost, what, 13 years ago was telling us about planetary boundaries. And one of the big ones was this one on how important it is that we maintain this barrier between ecosystems and humans and that our, our activity was pushing against um, a really devastating risk of, of irreversible damage. And the pandemic to me in so many ways was the wake up call on this particular uh, boundary that we, we must go back. And I think for many governments on the African continent, this definitely stands out as an opportunity to restore the, the boundaries that are critically important. I don't think any of us would have imagined the entire planet uh, coming to a halt because this particular planetary boundary has been crossed. So it's a really, really salient moment for us to re, um, reassess in every country, not only the large forests like the Congo, but in every country there are green spaces and there are forests that must be um, protected, cushioned, and assessed, especially even those that are for sustainable use, that we continue to understand just how fragile and how vulnerable those barriers are. So I think that is, the pandemic is definitely bringing to the fore uh, that, that message. Absolutely. Robert, would you like to also comment on how you've seen the pandemic affect global forests? 
So the picture is not very clear. I mean, a sort of in, in, in at at one stage uh, we thought that the pandemic, because of the lockdown and, and the, the, the the reducing of the the industrial activity, we will have a positive effect on uh, greenhouse gas. But but in fact, when when <coughs> when you look at the the global picture over one year, it's it's, it's a minuscule dent in terms of. Uh, reduction in carbon emission. At the same time, we have seen reports, but they are not yet completely uh, valid. That, that seems to, to, to show that because there, there was nobody doing enforcement on the ground, I mean, there has been an increase in, in deforestation or, or poaching uh, in, in protected area or in forest. So the, <clears throat> the picture is, is a bit, um, I would say, uh, nuanced. Uh, I, I think that the, the only silver lining that I can see on the pandemic is that it has raised very much the, the whole issue of the, the balance with nature and, and what we risk if we, if we don't do that. Uh, I, I'm not sure that it has had a, a direct impact very much on forests, but on the other side, there is anecdotal evidence that they say that in some places, there has been increased deforestation uh, because of the condition created by the pandemic. Mm -hmm. uh, because forests and trees are long-living beings, I mean, as well, maybe we will see the, the actual consequences of, of these two years of pandemic in 10 years from now, but we don't know yet. And Metta, is there anything you would like to say on this topic, as it is such an important one at this moment? Yes, certainly what we have seen, we've seen this exodus of people from the cities to the rural areas because they've lost their jobs. Uh, and when they come back to the rural areas, their safety nets are the rivers where they can fish, the forest where they can go and hunt or they can cut down wood or and sell it as fuel, wood or firewood, or they can start growing some crops in, in the forest area. So the natural resources are the safety net for those who have lost their jobs and their livelihoods. So we are seeing, as Robert was saying, indications that in some areas there's been an increase, both in exploitation of forest degradation, in some cases, deforestation in, in a couple of cases as well at the large scale simply because there is no enforcement for that as well. But we have to remember that people have to be able to eat and to cook their meals. So they have no other opportunity and there's no social safety net in the rural areas. They will turn to the forest if there are forests and trees around for simply survival. So that's why it's so important that we make that link, but also important that we take this time to say, we have a time to step back and look at what is it that we need to change so that we restore that balance between people and nature and that we really build back base so we don't commit the same mistakes that we have done over and over again. We have shut down the economy in some areas and we need to restart it again, but restarting it well. And that's where, as Bonjour was saying, restoration comes in. If we invest in reforestation, in forest restoration, we can use that to restart the local economy by creating jobs, green jobs, by creating livelihoods. At the same time, we can address the issues related to climate change, to biodiversity loss, and to food insecurity. So it really is an opportunity that we need to grasp and grasp it now to see how we can help with that. And, and I'm not just talking about restoring forests, I'm talking about restoring all types of ecosystems, the oceans as well, and the productivity and the health of our soils so that they can produce more food as well. 
And uh, with respect for time, we have discussed a number of forest challenges, uh, fires, food, uh, pressure on rural livelihoods and people turning to forests when they have nowhere else to turn. Uh, but I'd like to move now into restoration and what's working and what's not and how we choose where to restore. And one of the things that I've found really interesting is in the past year or two, there's been a rise of all sorts of challenges, uh, challenges in the positive sense, like uh, replanting a billion trees, a trillion trees. Uh, in Africa, there's been free town, the tree town and restoring urban landscapes with trees. Uh, Wanjir, would you like to comment upon how you see um, this rise of big efforts and kind of gamifying restoration or making it um, uh, attributable to popular trends and how you're seeing that work out? Well, the truth is not, not there's not enough of it. I think we could see more of that. Uh, definitely some really good signals, like you said, with Freetown. A lot of it is about the leadership, the leadership that we are seeing in, in different places that are recognizing and making those connections in Rwanda, in, in, in Freetown, as you say. Um, but I, I definitely see signs, for example, in Malawi. In Malawi, we know that the, the government of Malawi has committed their own resources, $2 million of its own budget to create jobs for young people. This is a very uh, focused agenda to restore 50,000 hectares of land. This is something that I find so compelling, and I saw it, uh, read about it with the, the Civilian Conservation Corps in the 30s in the US, and how that became a, a real source of income, but also the source of some of the most beautiful parks and, and skiing cultures in those, in those places. So there are real opportunities. We're seeing it in Kenya as well, in Makueni County, where 3,000 people are working to restore farmlands and, and, and forests. But I have to say that for me, it is about the leadership. There's a lot that uh, is anchored on, on who is in charge and the extent to which these messages are getting there. So we're investing a lot of time, especially at WRI, at investing in data and evidence. Because once we are able to demonstrate and in compelling ways uh, how and, and what's at stake and what the opportunities are to do this and do it well, there's often a really good uptake. So there's a lot of opportunity there, but I definitely think the momentum is great and the acceleration we are seeing is wonderful. Thank you. And I wanna get back to um, data and monitoring in just a second, but going off of leadership, uh, at the highest level, we have the Paris Agreement on Climate Change and nationally determined contribution from countries. Robert, what role do you see uh, reforestation playing in, in DCs? Well, assuming that we are speaking about, about uh, restoration, not reforestation only, um, I think clearly, I mean, that, that if, if you have a place that is a barren land, like the Lost Plateau in China, and 10 years later, you have a place that is covered with vegetation and trees, you have uh, stored uh, a large amount of carbon on top of biodiversity. So this is clearly something that a uh, country can, can claim as a, as a mitigation. Uh, and, and at the same time, uh, what is interesting in the, in the case of forest and trees is that they are the same time the mitigation mechanism and an adaptation mechanism. So if you store carbon, if you store carbon underground, uh, 
using a pipe, uh, you are mitigating because, but you are, you are not adapting onto anything. I mean, so if you create a, a healthy forest ecosystem or, or forest agriculture mosaic, then at the same time, you mitigate the climate change, you help the adaptation, you improve the livelihood of the people, and you increase the biodiversity. So, so it seems a no-brainer that we should invest in that. And of, course, and of course, I mean, it doesn't mean that we should stop trying to reduce our emission from fossil fuels, yeah. but, but it's, it's a bit of a different story. So the, the idea to say that restoration is not a good thing because it's a distraction uh, to reduce emission, for me, is the wrong debate. I mean, we should do both. I mean, we should restore our degraded land and we should reduce our fossil fuel emission. Absolutely. Uh, Meta, one thing that Wanjira was talking about was the importance of data and understanding uh, what we know and what we don't know and how to apply that to restoration activities. And as you work for FAO, which plays such a key role in putting forth and sharing some of this knowledge, what information do you still see is missing on what we know about forests and especially the dynamics that you were talking about earlier and the many roles they play in putting it all together? How do we gather the information that we need to restore effectively? Yes, we have since 1946 been putting together these global forest resources assessment at, at five-year intervals. And as you can imagine, the type of information we've gathered over that period has changed tremendously, looking at what are the aspects that are the challenges that are happening around the world, how can we improve by providing that evidence that's needed for, for making decisions. At the moment, I think we are collecting something like 60 different indicators um, that we're asking all the countries to provide that information to us. But And it gives us a very good picture of, of the forest and the general state of them. And we can compile it at the regional and the global level. And we've heard about the rates of deforestation going down, not fast enough. There's some positive news as well. More than half of all of the world's forests are now under a long-term management plan. 18% of all forests are found in protected areas. So we've actually succeeded in meeting one of the biodiversity targets for forests. But there's a lot of things that we still don't know that we don't have a good enough handle on. One of them is of those non-wood forest products and the value of those, the value of the forest services that they provide. Um, but we also don't have enough information on how we're managing this, this restoration. Um, if you look at forest from above with satellite imagery, uh, it's very easy to see where you've lost some forest. It's not very easy to see where forest is regrowing for a number of years, simply because it takes a while for the trees to come up. So we don't have a very good estimate of restoration efforts yet. So that's why we put together a task force for this UN decade on ecosystem restoration, looking at all types of restoration and what are some of the indicators we should measure. And I think we have more than 200 people from more than 80 different organizations working together to see how we can put the best information that we have together to better monitor progress over time. And that's not just the biophysical progress. We also want to have those socioeconomic data on the costs and the benefits of restoration. Because if we want to make sure that we can have our voices heard and that restoration can take off. We need those investments in many cases also at large scale. 
we need to make the business case. And in order to do that, we need that data on what are the actual costs in different types of ecosystems under different conditions around the globe and what are the actual benefits, both those we can monitor now and monetize, if you will, but a number of them that we know it's very, very difficult to get an economic valuation of it, but we need to do so to be able to speak to the decision makers and the, and the investors. Thank you. That's quite comprehensive and making the business case. Absolutely. And I apologize. I don't think I officially introduced the decade on ecosystem restoration before. We've mentioned it a few times now, so I'll just take a moment. Um, it's a UN effort that will last 10 years focusing on restoring ecosystems of all kinds, as Meta mentioned, uh, to combat climate change and global warming. So I'll just ask one more question and I'll put this forth to each of you separately now before we go to questions from the audience. Uh, but we've talked about many things today um, and now ending with restoration, putting the many pieces together and all the many benefits that forests have. Um, from each of your perspectives, what are you most hopeful for in the next 10 years to see with forest restoration? Where do you want to see it done? which restoration methods are you most hopeful for that can have the greatest benefits, et cetera? Uh, Wanjia, perhaps we can start with you. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm definitely optimistic given the progress we saw with AFR 100 as a restoration movement that was, uh, at the time it was set up, didn't think we would reach 100 million hectares in commitments, got to 100 and close to 30 million hectares in commitment. And so the implementation phase begins, and I hope that that will meet as much enthusiasm as the commitment phase met. We've seen some real progress uh, and momentum around the Great Green Wall Initiative, and that too um, is, is hopeful. So I think there are some real opportunities, and I, and I agree with Mete, going forward, um, how Africa addresses this issue of ecosystem restoration is, is a real opportunity, and I hope that um, it will be seized. Thank you. Uh, Meta, let's go back to you. Yes, thank you. We've also talked about restoration and, and the fact that it's more than just planting of trees and that we do need to restore that relationship between humans and nature. So we need to go beyond restoring the damage done. The resolution that was passed adopting the UN Decade on Ecosystem Restoration calls for the prevention the halting and the reversing of ecosystem degradation globally. That's what we need to do. Only by doing this do we have lasting solutions. And I think there's a huge opportunity here. We have 10 years where we want to change the narrative, where we want to educate, where we want to engage, create a global movement, the generation restoration. Everybody from age three to 103 can take part on this. You can help clean up a beach. You can plant a tree in the back garden. You can help with some restoration efforts at a larger scale. Everybody can be involved in this. And that's what I find so compelling about the narrative on that. But also the fact that we know that by restoring ecosystems, by sustainably managing forests, we do create new jobs and livelihoods. And particularly for the young generation coming up, we need to make sure that there's something that gives them hope. And I think restoration does just that. Thank you. Very inspiring to end on. Uh, Robert, and 
for you, what would you like to see in restoration in the next decade? Well, it's difficult to, to, to speak after uh, our two um, distinguished uh, ladies and, and maybe one thing that what we didn't say is, um, and uh, let, let me first uh, say that I agree totally with, with Angela and, 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 and Mette, but we need to have uh, the restoration becoming uh, an economic enterprise. I mean, it's, we, we need to have the people looking at forests uh, like they look at toll road. I mean, forests are, is our green infrastructure. And the same way that you invest in the infrastructure in your road network or, or in the railway network or in your airport, you need to invest into forests as your best chance uh, of mitigating and adapting to climate change and as a green infrastructure. But for that, I don't think that there is enough public money. We need to have the private sector investing also in this ecosystem. We need to have the private sector investing in restoration uh, and making a profit ultimately out of it. Uh, so we need to, to transform uh, the restoration uh, seen as a public uh, funded uh, exercise to produce ecosystem services into uh, an economic enterprise that produce these ecosystem services, but also jobs, livelihood, goods and services. Uh, only if we do that, if we manage to have this blending between public, private, uh, and, 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 and private as corporate and society, will we be uh, successful in, in achieving our, our restoration uh, objectives and pledges? Thank you. And thank you for fleshing out a bit more what Meta was saying before about making the business case and gathering the data on what economically forest restoration can mean, because that is such a key player in the future of forest restoration. Um, Wanjira has dropped out again, just um, to inform everyone, and she's trying to reconnect for the last little bit. But I'd like to go now to see if there's anything else either of you want to say before we close this discussion. Uh, Meta, we can start with you, if there's anything you'd like to add. Well, just to say that the reason why we had this theme of International Day of Forest, which was on forest restoration, a path to recovery and well-being, was obviously because we're in, still in the middle of the pandemic, something that a year ago we did not foresee would happen and would last this long. So we're looking to see what the linkages are with that. And, and we've heard a little bit about the zoonotic diseases and the fact that, that we are destroying our forest, we are doing fragmentation, has increases the risk of zoonotic diseases, but also how with restoration we can help build back better after this pandemic, with, which was a health crisis and is becoming an economic crisis. So it's important that we do that. So I just wanna encourage everybody to be part of that generation restoration sign up for that see what you can do help us make this un decade for ecosystem restoration and make a difference and we can only do that if you participate robert would you like to um close out with any remarks well i think just um fully agreeing with with what meta said i mean it's sort of every little drop or every little seedling matter even if it's not obvious and uh, and that's the advantage of forest and trees. I mean, sort of, they grow. If you let them, they grow. You don't need to come back every day and uh, repair it or something like that. So, so it's something that we should be able to do, and and then we need to do because otherwise we are going to go very very serious problem. 
So it's a matter of making sure that the, the UN decade on ecosystem restoration is a success and a success uh, that we can measure in 10 years from now with uh, a better forests, more forests, more natural ecosystem, and, and more fully functioning ecosystem and less degraded land. And it's, it's our responsibility, uh, all of us. Thank you. Thank you. And we all look forward to the results of the decade and the journey to get there. So thank you both so much for your time and joining. Thank you for everyone listening and commenting. It seems that there's been a good discussion as well in the chat. And we'll see you next time on GLF Live. Thank you so much, everyone. If you enjoyed our conversation today, keep an eye out for our next episode about how biodiversity loss is causing new disease outbreaks and what we can do about it. Subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or Stitcher, and reach out to us on social media with the hashtag GLFLive. And for everything you need to know about landscapes, ecosystems, and climate change, visit our website at globallandscapesforum.org. We'll see you again next week. <laughs>